Hey everybody, this is the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go, Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can, including Nuggets games, for only 39 bucks per month with no additional costs or fees. You heard that right. You can get tickets to Nuggets home games with your In We Go subscription for only $39 a month. And it's not just Nuggets games. It's Rockies, Rapids, Avalanche, Buffs, Concerts, Beer Tastings food fests, comedy shows, concerts, and anything else that you can imagine. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that In We Go can get you in. Here's where it gets good. We partnered with In We Go to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All events in Denver for under 20 bucks during your first month. Try it and fall in love with it, just like we did at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app today for free and use promo code BSN50. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver. We are recording today from Sports Column right here in downtown Denver, Lodo, right by Coors Field. Great TVs, great beer selection, great food. If you need a place to watch the Rockies during the stretch run, if you need a place to watch the Nuggets this season, hit up Sports Column. I'm Harrison Wind alongside Christian Clark, alongside our good friend Adam Mares. Adam, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Well, we had to bring you on today's show. This is I guess our final season preview before Media Day Monday, we had to get your thoughts on everything and anything that has to do with the Nuggets and Jimmy Butler, too. I know the season doesn't start for another month, but still, this is our final, I guess, season preview. So we're glad to have you. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen in training camp, though. So as much as the season doesn't start, I feel like it'll be a very news-heavy training camp and Media Day, more than usual. People are so optimistic about the Nuggets, you know, not only... Nuggets media members, Nuggets fans, but opposing media too. I've been checking out some of your podcasts with people who cover other teams in the West, and you know what? It's kind of scaring me. Should we be more worried? Uh, yeah, this is. <laughs> it's funny. There's there's that like where the pendulum swings from when you're the team that nobody believes in to when you're the team everybody believes in, and I think it's that kind of more fun to be the nobody believes in this team. But that being said, it's more fun to actually win, and Denver has a chance to do that this year. No, this is something I want to talk about. We can get into it right now before we get to the Jimmy Butler stuff. But all these NBA ranks come out where they rank the top hundred players. Somehow, Nikola Jokic is 12th on ESPN.com's <laughs> rating. What was he on Sports Illustrated's like 18, 17th, 18th, 18th, one spot above Towns? I feel like that's an accurate ranking for him. The 12th is, is a little high, possibly, but I think you can make a case for it. Maybe by the end of the year, he's legit number 12. But this franchise, we always talk about how it doesn't get a lot of national attention. That seems like it's changing, and it's a bit unfamiliar territory. It's kind of weird, I feel like. Very unfamiliar territory. And even with Jokic, I mean, Nuggets fans have formed an identity around uh, as fans of Jokic because he's underrated and all this. And he's another one. Like, I don't know that he's underrated anymore. And look, I'm not one of these people that, that splits hairs over the, the 10th versus 20th best player. I mean, they're top 20, whatever. He's getting the respect that he deserves. And if he shows you know, improvement, as most people think, that'll continue to climb. One of Michael Mullen's favorite lines is, we're the Rodney Dangerfields of the NBA. We don't get no respect. I think the Nuggets have gotten all the respect to be deserved from a team that hasn't made the playoffs yet. And yeah. it was really tough last year, but I think they're getting the recognition now and they just got to go out and do it if they, if they want a little bit more. Yeah, and and it'll be fun, especially the season is soft enough in the open. I don't want to say soft, but it's softer than at the end that they can get off to a hot start and really get uh, the fans excited. So I, I just you said the the season's a month away. There's just so much that's going to happen. There's a game in seven days. Right. It's not only a game. It's LeBron James's <laughs> first game in a L.A. Lakers uniform is going to be in some random casino or not casino it's like the naming rights of the right. arena in San Diego and even with those games i know the starters will probably play half the game which is a good amount i mean look that's that's 24 more minutes of basketball than we've seen in a while but i'm even excited to see the the third string guys and the second string i want to see uh you know tyler Lydon, wancho hernan gomez I, wanna, I we haven't gotten to get a really good look at those guys even in through summer league so uh, I just I think it'll be a fun couple of weeks leading up to the season. Yeah, there's going to be a ton of storylines developing over the course of training camp. 
with Isaiah Thomas, for example, <laughs> who we don't really know what his status is going to be for training camp next week for the staff of preseason. I feel like that's a big question mark right now. How much clarity do you think we'll get at that about that specific thing, a time frame on Monday? Probably not much. I agree. I, I assume we'll hear, yeah, we're just going to take it slow with him and not put him out there until he feels like he's ready to go, which is the right approach, but I don't anticipate we'll get much clarity. He's close. No right. timetable for return, but close. As vague as possible. Well, that's kind of how it went with Paul Millsap, right? We didn't get a lot of oh, forewarning. Yeah. He was just, you know, oh, he's going to be back tonight after, um, what, a two-and-a-half-month hiatus or something like that? I told people the night he came back there was no way he was coming back, and then he came back, so I've, I've lost all credibility. Yeah, I said the same thing. But <laughs> that, that being said, I would treat it the same way if I was a team because if you say two weeks and it takes him three weeks, then you just look stupid. For sure. Well, and like with a hip, that's not really something you can put an exact timetable on. So we'll see. There's a lot of questions about this team for sure at training camp and, and media day on Monday. Some we'll get answers to, some we might not get answers to. But where I want to start today was on Jimmy Butler, probably the biggest story in the league right now. Anytime a superstar goes on the market, let alone demands a trade, we got to talk about it. And I don't think there's a real possibility or likelihood he'll end up in Denver but I think there's a definite possibility that he'll get traded I mean just from afar it seems like Tom Thibodeau doesn't want to trade him everybody else in Minnesota wants to trade him and when something like that happens you got to feel like he's going to get traded there's a couple scenarios here and, and some of them are really bad for Denver I mean if he gets traded for example to the Clippers the place he wants to go that probably makes the Clippers better. And depending on what the return is, it might make Minnesota just as good. So adding another contender out west is never a good thing. Um, that being said, there's, I think, the more likely scenario, just from reading the tea leaves, the more likely scenario is that a deal is not done in the next three days. The team goes into training camp with complete and utter chaos and dysfunction, and maybe that really causes them to get sl uh, a slow start out of the gate. Imagine you're Danilo Gallinari and you just signed this big deal with the Los Angeles Clippers, and then you get shipped to Minnesota after one year. Uh, I hope he kept all his winter hats, if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, Minnesota is a good – it seems like a, a something that would happen to Gallo, unfortunately, to get traded to I Minnesota. I was joking with Christian before we started recording. Gallo might retire before he goes to Minnesota in a trade. He loved Denver, but Minnesota is a bit of a different animal when it comes to the winners. Seeing Nurkic four times a year, Gallo four times a year, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, the Northwest Division, just a bunch of ex-nuggets. <laughs> and it's funny because a bunch of the trades Zach Lowe threw out there in his article that just dropped like an hour ago was one trade scenario where he went to Brooklyn, and sure enough, Kenneth Freed was coming back in that oh, deal. Man. Another trade scenario when he was going to Philly, Wilson Chandler was coming <laughs> back in that deal. So you're right, the whole Northwest Division is just going to be full of nuggets. What if the Kings made a run at him stupidly and we're just like uh, Bogdanovich and Zebo? What do you think? Well, Bogdanovich is my dude. I uh, like him too. I, man. I think he's incredible. I actually really, really, really like him. So I don't want him anywhere near Minnesota. I'm still hoping, first of all, that Jimmy goes somewhere east. I'm hoping that, you know, Tibbs' plan to not trade him ahead of camp or, you know, oh, we're just going to play it out. Just, just tanks his value. So that's what I'm hoping for. I hope that it, it becomes a thing where they try to ride this wave for another two months. It's a complete disaster, and then he has no value, so they trade him for, um, you know, three cents on the dollar. Yeah, um, Zach Lowe wrote a column today just kind of outlining proposed packages, and he mentioned Denver not as a serious suitor or anything like that. But in my mind, I don't see Denver getting involved, you know, if it's going to cost them one of their, you know, young three cornerstones, Jamal Murray, Gary Harrison, Nicole Jokic. I don't see any way Denver even, even thinks about that, right? Denver has, over the last three, four years, Denver has put so much work into making the team cohesive and making this locker room a locker room all about each other so who knows what the truth is with with jimmy butler and how much of a pain in the butt he is as a teammate but i don't think denver would take that risk given one year left on his deal he's fought with teammates in the past he plays a very isolation heavy style of basketball you know there's a lot there's enough red flags there that i think denver probably sits this one out yeah i agree and they're definitely not giving up gary harris in this deal definitely not so if any Nuggets fans had any inkling that a deal around those two guys was going to get done, it's not. But going back to what you said about it doesn't seem like 
he's going to get traded in these next couple of days. How I always envisioned this scenario going with Jimmy Butler was like before he came out with these trade demands, it was pretty apparent that there were some issues there with him and Cat and Tibbs and, and that locker room. I assumed they were going to go into training camp. They were going to get off to a good start and just ride it out or either get off to a bad start and then, you know, look to trade him at some point during the season. But the problem is if you don't trade him now, whatever value he has right now, he's going to have half that amount of value closer to the trade deadline when he's thinking about free agency in a couple months. So if I'm the Wolves and if you think there's even a chance that you're going to trade him, you got to get that deal done as soon as possible. There's at least a sliver of a possibility that this thing will play off for a couple weeks, months, and then they try to trade him and there's no value for him and their entire season is wrecked. And then maybe the damage to Carl Anthony Towns' trust in the organization is also wrecked. I mean, they find themselves in a really precarious situation and the exact type of situation you fear when you hire a coach who is also your general manager. Imagine being the fan of a franchise that hasn't gone to the playoffs for more than a decade and they've, they spend these years finally assembling this great young nucleus. They sign a, an all-NBA player. They go to the playoffs one time, get their ass waxed, and then it all blows up. It would have only been more uh, terrible if somehow they would have lost in overtime last year and the, the apex was actually a play-in game. That would, have, that would have been the worst. If you're Jimmy Butler, why didn't you just bring this up after the season? You know? yeah. It yeah. would have been better for you. You probably would have had more control over where you were going to get traded to. And you would have helped the team out, too, in getting more in return. Now, I don't think this was Jimmy Butler's thought, but this is the state of the NBA right now with pre-agency. I think Kyrie Irving also knew this. You, can, you have more leverage against your team to go to the place you want to if you wait till the last minute. Wait till all the chips fall. And I don't know. Look, I have no idea if that was Jimmy Butler's plan. I have no idea if that was Kyrie Irving's plan. But I do know it works out in their favor because now if he wants to go to the Clippers, he can close off the market to everybody except for the Clippers. Yeah. But that didn't stop a team like the Toronto Raptors from trading for Kawhi Leonard, which is a scenario I still think is out there. There might still be a mystery team that comes out of nowhere just like the Raptors did, maybe it's a Portland and they float C.J. McCollum out there. Maybe it's Miami who's been rumored. Maybe it's some team we're not thinking of, but I definitely think that's a possibility because why would the Clippers give up much in value for him right now if they right. think he's coming there next summer? The only reason they would do it is just to really lock him in and not have what happened to the Lakers when they yeah. think they're getting Paul George and Kawhi and that stuff gets put on hold. Well, I really appreciate you giving Nuggets a whole new nightmare scenario, and that is C.J. McCollum in Minnesota makes them good. Jimmy Butler in Portland makes them good. That, that trade would really suck for Denver. <laughs> it would. I just want to float out a couple possible <laughs> scenarios out there. Uh, I do. So you think he gets traded, though? I do think he gets traded. I don't not, I just do not see him playing a successful season in Minnesota. Um, I don't know that I see him getting traded in the next 48 hours before media day. And either he doesn't report for media day or he reports and it's the most uncomfortable couple of hours you do, you've ever seen at Target Center. So, uh, But either way, I see this ending with him in another year to form by April. I think best case scenario for us is he reports... And we get some classic Media Day photos out of this. Oh, man, yes. Some, some Media Day storylines. I know you're very excited for Timberwolves Media Day. Very excited. I'm going to be glued to my phone while somehow covering the Nuggets. But, um, yeah, I mean, you don't get this type of uh, – uh, uh, man, wh how, how am I going to say this word? Sh Freud? <laughs> Did I get that right? <laughs> you don't get this too often. And this is like some A+. So I'm not a very big hockey fan, but I remember a situation last year where the Avalanche were trying to trade one of their star players, and he had to report to Media Day, and his pictures at Media Day just looked like he was being held hostage. I can't. <laughs> what was his name? I'm not gonna. I'm not, right. You're asking the wrong person. Right. This one. Well, <laughs> the wrong. That, yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I brought up hockey, guys. I apologize. <laughs> I do know what you're talking about, though. I do recall this player. Just have no idea his name. It wasn't Paul Stastny, though. Was that like two years ago? No, it was definitely this last year. Oh, we might need to get our abs guys on this. But, yeah, I think best case scenario for Sick us. Sick reference, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> From an entertainment standpoint, Jimmy Butler at Media Day would be great. Do you have a prediction on a team he goes to? Any of you? Uh, the Kings, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm on the record. Bogdan Bogdanovich you like that package. And, and Zach Randolph. I want us to say something, man. You get fired when you trade Jimmy Butler for Bogdanovich, even if it's an equal value trade, man. That – 
that the front line of the paper is not like, hey, Bogdanovich is actually good, you guys. That's that's not how it works. It's you traded a multi-time all-star for a second-year player who happens to be 27 years old. Um, that being said, it, Sacramento, you know, who knows what kind of deal they could throw out? They might even, they actually have some players that I think are very intriguing that don't fit their long-term plans, like Willie Cauley Stein, who. I think he's a better player to 29 other teams than he is for, to Sacramento. Um, but I think I think I, the Clippers or New York, the, the Knicks, I think one of those two teams get it done. Maybe the Nets try to throw their hat in the ring, but I, I think Jimmy Butler is going to be able to control this story, and he's going to control where he wants to go. If it was a possibility, just do C.J. McCollum for Jimmy Butler straight up. Both teams should absolutely do that, right? I would think so. I, I mean, like I said, that scares me. As a Nuggets fan, I, w- I would say that, that that's a very uh, troublesome one. But let me just throw this one last angle here about Jimmy Butler because I think, I think he has some real character question marks. I mean, there's, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I want to get to th- it. There's enough smoke around this to at least say, like, man, I don't know. Maybe you want to stay away from that guy. But when I saw that he wants to go to the Clippers, one of the things I thought was, what an interesting era we're in where nobody wants to play with LeBron. And I get this feeling that Jimmy Butler wants to go to the Clippers to own L.A. over LeBron. And part of me thinks, like, this guy is a true villain with some real character flaws, but he's kind of good at the role. Well, he wanted to go to the Clippers because they just got Lee Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the thing that I've been um, really curious about with this whole Jimmy Butler situation is we always know him as this guy who's just all about winning, 100% about winning. You know, if you're not busting your ass to get better in practice every single day, I'm going to get on you and do whatever I need to do to get you working at my level. And all I care about is winning at the end of the day. I don't want out of Minnesota because we don't have a path to, to winning this season. And the teams he wants to go to are the Knicks, the Clippers, <laughs> and the Nets. Are we sure Jimmy Butler is all about winning at the highest level? Or is he only about winning at the highest level if I'm playing where I want to be playing, if I'm playing with who I want to be playing with? I think it's a little bit of those things, but I think more than anything, it's he knows things that we don't. I think players know things that even reporters at the highest level, maybe outside of Woj or somebody. And so, you know, he wants to play with Kyrie. He wants to play with KD. I think there might have been conversations that have already been had behind closed doors. That, that And there was a report that came out that said Jerry West, who advises now for the Clippers, has a plan, and that plan is to get Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard as a dynamic duo. And I thought, it's a pretty good plan. It's not a bad one. Yeah, I mean, they've got two max slots available next summer. Um, I just go back to what Lee Jenkins said in that, that Woj article. You know, we're in a great market. We have a great owner. We've got good people in the front office. It almost just seems inevitable that we're going to be a winning organization pretty soon. There's no lamer brand in the NBA than the Clippers, though. I mean, the, you see how big the Broncos are here in Denver. Imagine the Chargers move to Denver. That's, that's what it would be like. Nobody would become a Chargers fan, and it would take 40 years, and still nobody would be a Chargers fan. That's where the Clippers are. So, yeah, they have a great owner. Um, they've, got, they've got a flexibility. Unfortunately, they're, they're, they're the Clippers. And even if they get Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler, they're still in the West. So right. the path to contending isn't as clear as it would be out East. Let's go ahead and take a break real quick. And on the other side, we'll get into some actual Nuggets talk. Start going over some storylines, heading into the training camp, hit on some players for sure. We'll be right back. Now offering buy one, get one on all 75 Colorado craft beers from more than 50 breweries on tap when you mention BSN. The Colorado Keghouse is still the only place to watch the game. It's pretty cool. You walk in and there's a it's, it's this big bar right in front of you, and you know it's every, all these beers are on tap. They give you this huge menu, and you're able to just flip through it. anybody anybody that likes any kind of beer, especially made in Colorado, is definitely going to be able to to find something that they like. Uh, you know, personal favorite of mine is the the Apricot Blonde from Dry Dock Brewery out in Aurora. With NHL Game Center and NFL Sunday Ticket. On 27 HD TVs, you're sure to never miss a second of your favorite team. And just when you thought the Colorado Cake House couldn't get any better, they now serve Colorado Spirits. Off Wadsworth and 36th and Broomfield, right next to the First Bank Center, it's the Colorado Cake House. 
The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinol.com. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Harrison Wynn, Christian Clark here alongside Adam Mars, DenverStiffs.com. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're well familiar with Adam and his work. Great work, of course. Check him out. We will get to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline in a couple minutes. We've got a couple questions there, one on Michael Porter Jr., one on Jared Vanderbilt. We'll probably get to those in the next segment. But I want to kick off the Nuggets portion of this podcast just talking about Jokic. And we mentioned him at the top of the show a little bit. Finally, seems like he's getting the recognition he deserves nationally. We've been up close and personal with him for these last two, three years. We see what he does on a nightly basis seems like the rest of the league or the rest of the media that covers the league is starting to open up and re really see the value he brings to this team and the type of player he is. Just curious about your thoughts, Adam, from a high level. What are your expectations for this guy heading into a season where it seems like everything's setting up for him to have a huge year? I kind of am against the grain in in one way about Jokic's upcoming season. I think the part of his game that's going to surprise people is the scoring. I actually think we're going to see a, a more uh, just a high volume scoring Nikola Jokic this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he averaged 20, 21, 22 points per game. I know a lot of people look at the assist numbers and there's all these different scores, but I look at it the other way. There's all these different scores, but there's also more guys that can get him the ball in scoring position and um, you know, I think he's still going to have a lot of great passes, even passes that don't lead to directly to an assist. But I think he's going to be on the finishing end of a lot of plays. That's pretty interesting. One of the ways I think Will Barton is underrated is as a passer. I think he's probably the Nuggets' best passer out of the pick and roll on this roster. You know, Jamal Murray, that's, that's one area of the game where he's still developing. We saw him kind of struggle to hit Jokic on the roll last year. Will Barton is a really good passer, man. I, I think if you watch him closely and... I could see, you know, him being in there helping Jokic out as a scorer. And Jokic is just so gifted. I mean, for him to lead the team in scoring last year, even though he dealt with all right. the discomfort early in the year and then having to reacclimate when Paul Millsap came back, you know, I think I predicted Jamal Murray to lead this team in scoring and he'd probably be my bet, but I think Nicole Jokic is probably my, my number two pick. Jokic had a game last year without a field goal. I mean, it's I just it's unheard of. Some of the games in that first two weeks of the season were just so weird. And of course, he had a forty-one point game as well, sprinkled in there. But I think this is just a year where he's going to be more consistent. And actually, it's funny talking to some people that have been around these workouts and scrimmages. You know, the, the, a lot of the players have been in town for a couple weeks now. One thing that I keep hearing is that Jokic has been an aggressive scorer. That he's looking to score the ball a lot more and just looking to dominate in a one-on-one -on -one sense more. And to me, that's the part of his game that I think has yet to be elevated or, or actually that I think he can go to another level because he's a very good play within the system kind of guy. But the more he can become a nobody on this floor can stop me kind of guy, I don't, I'm not worried about Jokic being too selfish. That's the last thing I would ever worry about. So if he starts to push it a little bit more from a scoring perspective, I, I, I think it could be really, really good. Yeah, it's funny. You look back at his year last season and he kind of got off to that slow start at the beginning of the season, had that scoreless game like you mentioned. In November, he averaged 14.5 points per game. It's wild. Every in other November. month in November, played 14 games. He played less than 30 minutes a night in November over 14 games, averaged 14.5 points per game, by far his worst month of the year. His January was also pretty bad too, 16.1 um, points. Only shot 41.5% from the field in January. What was it February, March? 
February, March, he averaged about 21, 22 points per game in both those months. Well above 50% from the field, well above 45% from three. And see, to me, that was the real Jokic. I mean, not the real Jokic, but that was the next version of Jokic. And so he did it for two-month period. I'm not convinced he's not going to do that for the entire season this next year. I feel like he knows more of what's expected of him, but also he's just more confident because he's not. Last year, I think he was afraid he was stepping on people's toes. I don't think he's afraid of that anymore. And that's what you wonder if that end of the year surge he went on, that month, month and a half run he went on to close the year, if that was the turning point for him. If something in his head clicked and said, okay, like this is the player I can be. Like you said, he goes out there on the floor and says, yeah, look, nobody can stop me in the half court i can do what i want i can hit from three i can hit from anywhere on the floor you really wonder if the close to the year was is going to be a turning point that we look back at on four or five years down the line i think we're going to get bully Jokic, a new version of Jokic this year we haven't seen bully Jokic, which is just a when when a guy can't guard you you have you let everybody know and there were moments last year where somebody couldn't guard him and 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 you know two-minute stretch here but I think there's going to be nights where he has the confidence to say there's nobody on that side you know playing the Clippers Boban uh Montrez Harrell Marcin Gortat who he's traditionally been very good against there's gonna be guys like that where he's like man there's nobody on this roster that can stop me I'm gonna make them double team me all night you know Jokic is a beast because he whips Draymond Green down in the post <laughs> like right. Draymond Green is not a guy who, who gets whipped down there often you know, I think where we saw development from Jokic that last month and a half was even if he started a game one for seven from the field, he'd still keep shooting and get his 15 or 20 points. And I think in the past that he probably would have stopped shooting and just functioned more as a facilitator. And he's still a really good offensive player doing that, but he's becoming more of the complete package. And man, I don't think you can overstate how impactful Paul Millsap was for him because Paul Millsap's a hell of a player on the court. He's a great, great teammate too. I think that I just think that was really significant for Jokic having a guy who's just coming off four straight All Star games. Just saying, look, you are the best guy on this team. It's pretty clear you need to take over. I think that was big for him. It wasn't just that it was you know a player saying that. It was the, an accomplished player like Millsap, somebody with Millsap stature, saying, look, man, yeah, I'm a four time All Star. You're going to be more than that by the time your day's done. So, I, I do think that was. I don't think it, it's an exaggeration to say that was a. A pivot in, in Jokic's career. We'll look we'll look at that as one of the, like the turning points of his career. Yeah, it was definitely one of them. It's definitely one of the ones you point to so far when looking at his career. It was crazy that he finally got to that point at the end of last season where they could just give him the ball and have him go get a bucket, and he had the confidence in himself to do that because the Nuggets were trying to get him to that point like the whole year. Michael Malone had multiple conversations with him in private, one-on-one throughout the entire season. There was one that I wrote about a lot in Golden State before they played the Warriors after they had just lost to the Kings on the road, I believe in January. Jokic had eight points in that game, and him and Malone talked one-on-one about... It wasn't even about being super aggressive and always looking to score every time. It was just more about stop playing so tense. Yeah, Just open up and, and be yourself. And when he is himself, we see this guy. We as analysts, our job is often to analyze X's and O's and outcomes and stuff like this. And sometimes, quite frankly, we're taking stabs in the dark. But one thing we know for a fact, this team was playing spike ball. They're in town for three, four weeks before the tournament. Everybody seems to get along. There's no drama. Whatever drama there is, it's always minor. We don't give Malone enough credit for that. The culture inside the Denver locker room is incredibly positive. And all of the players, whenever you ask them publicly, have nothing but glowing things to say. Yeah, I mean, Jamal Murray told Harrison last year he wanted Malone to be his coach for his entire career. Malone, two straight summers, has flown over to Serbia to hang out with Jokic and his people, see the way he lives, see the way he loves. (laughs) Um, And by the way, it's no surprise that Gary Harris and Nicole Jokic won that spike ball tournament. (laughs) Right? This is no surprise. I I doubt Jokic has ever played the game before, but man, it's just like uh, the perfect lawn game for his skills. Actually, I'll bet he's great at every lawn game. Well, I, I was saying this to Christian. You can just imagine he reads the ball off the net just like he reads the balls off the rim for rebounds. And so much of basketball, especially when you're a big man like passer, so much of it is a game of paper, rock, scissors, where you're just trying to like guess what your opponent's going to do and then do the opposite. And I th- imagine I've never played spike ball. But just see, knowing I've never either, but Christian was telling me he's a veteran. <laughs> I can, I'm not surprised by that either. <laughs> but no, I just, yeah, I think he's just a guy that's like, I bet he's a really good paper rock scissors player. <laughs> yeah, you brought up the chemistry, and going back to what we were saying about Jimmy Butler, like it's an 
ultimate reversal of chemistry when you look at the situation in Minnesota and the situation in Denver. The guys in Minnesota, there's nobody there right now. There's nobody there at practices and open runs and pickup games and stuff. It's the three training camp guys and the two guys on two-way deals and Tyus Jones, who lives in Minnesota. This is pure speculation, but I don't think Jimmy Butler has talked to Carl Anthony Towns or Andrew Wiggins since they parted ways at the end of last season. I mean, it sounds like, other than subtweeting, which I I don't count, but directly... I don't know if they talk to each other. And it's just, it's crazy to think about. Then you look at the Nuggets, yeah, just playing spike ball, doing all their goofy little things together. It's, it's it. There's a, there's a lot of reasons to get behind this team and to be excited for this team. And all 17 players that are on the roster for next season, they've been in Denver. They've been in Denver for weeks now. And I think Paul Millsap was the last one to get here yeah. this week or something. But, um, they have a great chemistry, and that's what's really fun about this team. They all get along really well. It seems like a college team. It yeah. seems like a college team. And going back to what you said, I agree. Michael Malone does not get enough credit for that because he doesn't get to choose what players he coaches. I'm sure if he did, he would have definitely rather coached certain players rather than others. But the, the thing he can do is just foster a culture of guys who want to be in the gym and get along and love to work, and that's what he's done. So it, it's been certainly cool to watch. Going back to Jokic... I think he's going to lead the team in scoring. I almost said mm-hmm. league. I think he's going to lead the team in scoring. And I don't think he's going to come out and average 24, 25, 26 points a game. You know, I could see him averaging around 19, 20 points per game, lead the team in scoring. I think the distribution is going to be pretty similar to last year. Jamal Murray's probably going to take a jump in scoring. But if I had to put my, my money on somebody, I think the safe bet is Jokic. And the guy I would put my money on is Jokic. He he gets a lot of points off of offensive rebounds, free throws, just you know, just some of your basic plays. I think he unlike last year, I think he's going to be above 12, 13 points a game almost every night. Um, but I do think he'll have some 12, 13 point nights. I just think he'll also have more 30 point nights this year because one, he's capable of it, and two, if you're more aggressive and teams decide not to double team you in the post, he's going to get a lot of times where it's just like, "All right, I'll keep going down there." I think the ceiling for this Nuggets team offensively really is number one in the league. I mean, a lot of things have to break right for that to happen, of course, to finish ahead of Golden State and Houston. But Do a lot of things have to break right? So okay, a couple well, things. Well, yeah. let me ask you, let me tell you this. Since December, two years ago, after December 15th, Nuggets ranked first in the in the NBA. Last year, over the last 40 games, not, not a small sample size, the second half of the season, they were the number one offense. So two years in a row, they've been the number one offense for at least half of the year. What's killed them is their offense has been terrible for stretches, either a month or two months or whatever. If they're not that bad, I think their floor becomes a top three offense. And yeah, there's some great offenses out there, but they've already they've they're the only team in the NBA over the last two years that have have had the number one offense for half of a season in each year. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and you're, I probably said that clumsily. Um, not that many things have to break right for them to finish number one. It's totally within the realm of possibility. If Jokic throws up like a a 21-7-11 and 11 line and does it really efficiently, it wouldn't surprise me at all with the pieces around him in place. 21-11-7. The funny thing is, two years in a row now, his rebounds have been consistent. So the 11 is almost a given. The 7 assists feels like almost a given. Um, really, the only question is the points. And yeah, he did it for a couple months to close the year last year. So, so maybe it'll carry over. I also think Jokic is going to have a huge year because Will Barton's moving into the starting lineup. And... Kobe and Shaq. (laughs) Right, Kobe and Shaq. But surrounding Jokic with three guys who can all play out of the pick and roll, all have great chemistry with him in DHOs, can all play make for themselves, can all cut off ball. Like Jokic can make a lot of players better. I compare him to Peyton Manning where you can just put average wide receivers around him and they'd have career years. But Barton and Harris and Murray – fits so well with Jokic, and it's just another reason why I think he's going to have a career year. He's going to play so many minutes next to those guys. you got to think most of those guys will be on the floor with him to close games a lot of times. Just the pieces they have surrounding him this year, and we haven't even spoke about Paul Millsap yet, which I'm sure we'll get to him, but the three guards, replacing Wilson Chandler with Will Barton, I I think just elevates Jokic to a, a, a different level. Offensively, 
it's not crazy to think this might be the most a team is suited to Jokic, maybe in his career, because you lose something defensively by, by the players that they have. But you've got basically three guards. I don't know that Jokic is going to have three-guard lineups for his entire career, but you have three guards that shoot 40% from the three-point line and can put the ball on the floor and can run DHOs, back cut, all this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think Denver's offense is just if, – if they reach the groove, if they can pick up where they left off and kind of get into that groove, their offense is just going to be so fun to watch. Yeah, I think Barton's probably the second-best passer in the starting lineup right behind Jokic, actually. And, I think so. So – I, I just think Will Barton is underrated in a lot of ways, and I think he really understands how to play with Jokic. I think Barton is a smarter basketball player than he gets credit for. He he realizes that if the things run through Jokic, then his numbers are going to look better too. I, I just think he's a smart basketball player. He was among the first to really figure that out, um, how to play, and, and Gary's figured that out. I think Jamal, all three of those guys have great great chemistry with Nikola Jokic and that chemistry only gets better the more you get into the rhythm it was funny I did a piece on Denver Stiffs a couple days ago or maybe it's been a week now that was kind of looking at the same set when Denver ran them in November and December and then again in in March and April and just in March and April you can see the continuity and the feel everybody just reading each other a lot better than they were at the start of the year continuity matters in the NBA especially when you're trying to play a read and react style of offense and also when you're trying to take another step from what you did last season, 46 wins, bringing back the same guys. They got that chemistry at the end of the season, and they're hoping to bring that same chemistry at the beginning of the season. The Nuggets have kind of gotten off the shaky starts over the past couple years, and there's been a couple reasons for that. I think integrating Paul Millsap was definitely one of the reasons no last doubt. year. It's a tough thing to do. Put a four-time all-star, a guy who's been a pretty high-usage guy throughout his whole career, into this read and react style of offense. But I definitely think there's a lot of reasons why they could get off to a better start next season. And like, like I said, the continuity aspect, they're bringing back everybody. You got to think that Millsap and Jokic, yeah, they didn't play as much together last year as the Nuggets definitely intended them to with Millsap only playing 44 games. But yeah, I think they're going to start off this season together better than they did last year. Like they've been playing in the on the practice court they found a little bit of chemistry at the end of last season it just seems like those two should come into this year with, with better chemistry the one thing i'll say about that i agree with you i think there's probably a 75 80 percent chance that they pick up where they left off and everything is just perfect but the one thing i'll say is we all saw most couldn't use his left hand last year so for him to take a step back in the offense was natural because he just wasn't himself this year by all accounts he is himself so does he try to step up a little bit more and do more? I don't know. Again, 75% chance, in my opinion, this is throwing out numbers, I would say, yeah, he's, it, everything's going to be fine. But there is that little bit where he says, no, I'm good again. I can start doing this stuff. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Millsap had that really revealing quote last season when he came back at that shoot-around before that Clippers game when nobody thought he was coming back, and sure enough, he did. But when asked about the offense and how they had just been executing on all cylinders – over this couple month period that he had been out while well, he was just sitting on the sidelines watching it and when he was asked about what his role was going to be he said I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and just or it's <laughs> not in the sidelines but in the corner and just try not to mess anything up so like, he could have a bigger role than just that but I, I do think he's kind of cognizant of man if I'm just a piece in this machine we can be really special. And by the way, he had 36 points against Oklahoma City in the final two weeks of the season. I mean, the guy, I think I think that's the, if you drew up a blueprint for how Denver's season can go, I think he's a low usage offensive player, you know, somewhere around 17, 18% usage most nights. But there's just going to be those nights where the defense chooses him to be the guy they play off of, and he's too good for that. I mean, that's that's what you want in your offense. You, can, you don't want a guy on the floor that you put teams can, can play off of because when they do, Millsap drops 36 on you. I went back and watched the Dawkins highlights of his 36-point game against OKC probably two weeks ago, and one of the things that I had kind of forgotten a little bit is how many of those buckets were really tough buckets, just contested shots from 9 to 15 feet away or so. And, you know, on one hand – I guess that's just who Millsap is. He's a tough bucket getter. And, you know, I think back to that Draymond Green quote about some guys are 82-game players and some games are 16-game players. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Millsap can be both, but I think if Nuggets get in the playoffs, Millsap's value could really, really shine there because he get those tough buckets. He's a great defender. I mean, if the Nuggets can figure out a way to get in finally this year, then, man. I think fans underestimate and, and understate how important just the – 
the mental part of it is, and not mental as in figuring out the X's and O's, but mental as in confidence and and experience and just being there. And 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 that's what Millsap. One of the things Millsap provides for Denver. It's one of the things they were missing. That Denver, I think, on paper was a top eight team in the Western Conference last year, even with the the injuries. But they were young enough, just young enough that they still lost to Atlanta and and, and Sacramento and that stuff. And that's the things that I think Paul Millsap brings is he's got his finger on the pulse of the team and he knows they don't have it tonight i this is where they need me yeah that's a great point and and i love what christian said there about paul Millsap. you, you gotta think that like I, I totally agree with you adam he's gonna be a low usage guy but there are gonna be those nights throughout the season and there are also gonna be those fourth quarters throughout the season when we don't know what this team's gonna look like in the playoffs but we know that a, a lot of the playoffs just gets down to isolation basketball and looking for mismatches and whatnot and a lot of times that happens in fourth quarters i gotta think paul Millsap will be very useful in those situations it's actually one of my favorite things about this team is when a guy gets hot the team gets excited for him and i think there's gonna be nights where Paul Millsap gets hot and everybody's just looking for him there's nights john Mal murray gets hot and everybody's just looking for him and kind of celebrating there's those nights and, and it's a lot of fun Let's talk about Jamal real quick. I've got real high expectations for him this season. I think this is the season where he establishes himself as the second pillar of the Nuggets. And Gary Harris is right there too, but I think Jamal just has that higher ceiling than Gary Harris. And I think Gary Harris has an all-star ceiling, so this isn't a knock on Gary Harris. But Jamal just has that game, that scores mentality that, that can really put him on a level that's know just a couple notches below Jokic when, when looking at this team long term and I, I just think this is a year when he's really has the ability to break out I think he's the most interesting player of the season uh, for Denver this will be this I, I think there's a really good chance that he sort of is the storyline Jokic has been the storyline for the last two years in a lot of ways um, but this year even though I think Jokic is the best player I mean, there's that the one thing I'll say I thought Gary Harris really expanded his game last year and as he expended what he was capable of doing, sometimes he stepped outside of what he should be doing, which is fine. That's a, that's a natural progression for a player who adds pieces to his game. Is it, it, I, th I think after you add stuff, then you kind of like pull back what you're doing. This is a year for me where I think Jamal Murray has to take some shots he shouldn't this year. He just has to because doing that gives you the confidence and then the experience and understanding of when not to do that. One of the things Zach Lowe wrote about in his article today, which I agree with, pulling the trigger on some of those not they're not bad three-pointers they're just quick right you just keep the defense honest and if he does that he might do it too much this year but it'll be a good step in the right direction of learning when and when not to Harrison has been on this for a while and I completely agree talking with you guys he needs to take more pull-up jumpers off the dribble because he was an excellent excellent catch-and-shoot three-point shooter last year I think he shot close to 40 percent on those he only took two pull-up threes per game last year. He shot it at 32%. And if you look at some player comps for him, look, I mean, I guess like a Steph Curry light player is his ceiling maybe one day, maybe a, maybe a Damian Lillard type player. Damian Lillard took five pull-up threes per game last year, and he made them at 36%. So I think offensively, that's the next step for Jamal is to be confident taking those threes off the dribble because he's an excellent standstill player right now. And I just think that would open up so many things for his game too. It forced the defense to, to crowd him even more than they already are. Maybe open up a couple driving lanes, but I think that's the next step for him offensively. Think of that feeling you get when Steph Curry comes off of a screen and pulls up like an insane three pointer. Like everybody in the arena knows it's in. Even whether even if he only shoots forty or thirty eight percent on those, you feel like they're in every time. Defenses feel like they're in every time, and you guard it different. And that's what Jamal. That's what I mean about him having to go too far in one direction as he's figuring it out. Is he's, he's going to learn that even if he's not making those shots, teams are going to feel like he is overextend and open up everything else. No, I'm glad Zach wrote about this because yeah, I've been on this for like a year now he needs to be taking more threes he took 4.2 threes per game as a rookie took 5.4 last year I felt like that number should have been 6.5 or even 7 he's just that good of a shooter shot 38 percent from three last year I think he can climb even higher although it'll be tough to climb higher with as many attempts as he might be taking but it's a bit of a weird role for Jamal Murray in this offense I feel like because he's got Paul Millsap he's this veteran I gotta feed him a little bit you got Nikola Jokic, who probably thinking like, hey, man, this, this guy's an incredible player. I got to get him going. He's got Gary Harris next to him. He's got Will Barton next to him. He's got a lot of guys who can score the ball. And so I, I get the feeling if Jamal Murray was on a different team, 
where he was counted on to be a bigger volume of a scorer. He could average like 20 points a game last yeah. year. He, he's a guy who can definitely score a lot more than he is right now. And I think it's just the guys on this roster, the role he's in right now, that have kind of kept him below the surface a little bit. But I do think this is the year he breaks out. Well, I always hear people say, like, oh, it's a point guard. I knew I had to get this guy involved. Then I got to come down and get this guy involved. I always thought that was weird. Because to me, you develop an offensive identity and principles. And then if you're doing that, you don't have to worry about that because everybody's working in harmony. And I think for Denver, Denver's certainly a team where when they're at their best, it doesn't feel like one guy's touching the ball more than the other. It just feels like they're playing a system. And whichever guy ends up with the ball and is open, that's the guy who scores. And for me, that's that's where I think Denver can get to. And I think for him in particular, it'll be great because the more it's just in the flow, the more he's out there finishing a lot of plays because he's a guy that has a green light as soon as he's open with any amount of space. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true with teams who have a more traditional construction, but the Nuggets are, are just so freaking weird yeah. that that doesn't have to be the case because obviously Jokic is the, the primary facilitator on this team. Oklahoma City a couple years back when they had Kendrick Perkins started every single game of the regular season and playoffs by giving Kendrick Perkins a post-up, of which he probably made six all year. And I always thought, like, <laughs> what was the point? And they were like, well, you got to get him going. And I think, no, you don't. You don't have to get Kendrick Perkins going. You don't. Yeah, I mean, they don't feel like they have to get Steven Adams going, and he still does his job really well. Exactly. Is it the theory with that? It's not as much to get them going on the offensive end. It's just to, like, keep him engaged on the defensive end. The theory is, oh, if he gets a touch on offense, he'll be engaged on defense. Shooting a jump hook air ball will get him engaged on defense. Sure, I guess. I'm it not saying sense. I'm a believer in it. I'm just saying this is the that's the narrative that that theory has. It's like when football teams are like, well, we're going to script our first three plays. They're all terrible plays, but we're going to script them because that way we know what we're doing. It does. It, it's counterintuitive to me, but it, hey, I, I guess some of these guys, it, it gets them comfortable, I guess. Let's go ahead and take another break. On the other side, we'll get to a couple questions from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. One on Michael Porter Jr., one on Jared Vanderbilt. Then hit some other guys on this roster that we haven't got to yet. We'll be right back. Green Mountain Dental Group is a family-owned business that has been a staple in Lakewood for over 40 years. Whether it's cosmetic, oral surgery, or preventative dentistry, at Green Mountain Dental Group you will find nothing but the best. We have chosen Green Mountain Dental and will continue to attend Green Mountain Dental because of the superior care that we receive from them. Their facility is amazing and above all, it's the personal touch that we receive from the people there, including Dr. Ben Jr. and Anne and Mary and Sherry and Marie. They've known me with my husband, my children, and now my grandchildren and are just incredible with all of us. That was Annette. She's been a patient at Green Mountain Dental Group since 1976 and truly loves their service. Never did I think in 1976 how blessed we would be to recognize the people at Green Mountain Dental and are so thankful that they have been a part of our lives. For all new patients, Green Mountain Dental Group offers free teeth whitening trays when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Just mention BSN Denver. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Let's get to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline right now. We got a couple questions, one about Michael Porter Jr., one about Jared Vanderbilt. want to remind you guys, if you have a question for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394 is the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. 1-800-BSN-8394. All it is is an answering machine, so just leave your name, leave where you're calling from, leave a question for the show, we'll play it and answer it. So let's go there right now. Hey, this is Noah from Phoenix. Just wondering uh, what you guys think about Jared Vanderbilt. I know you guys did a podcast on him um, recently, but I just think that he's undervalued. I think he's going to be an amazing defender, both at the small forward and power forward position. And I think he gives the team a little bit of versatility when it comes to the wing depth position. Uh, I think guys are too quick to put him in power forward. I think he can be great at small forward, uh, whether it be in the future or even within a small role this season. Uh, just wondering what you guys think about him now heading into training camp and also a uh, question on whether or not he's healthy. And then uh, on a less serious note, uh, do you guys think that if the Nuggets uh, end, end up uh, having some success this year, they'll 
uh, say spike ball, they'll give that uh, reason for us, uh, just like the Cleveland Cavaliers had first a climber a couple years ago. Uh, Debbie, <laughs> let me know what you guys think. Bye. All right, Noah, thanks for the question. Yeah, we did do a whole podcast on Jared Vanderbilt. If you want our expanded thoughts on that, be sure to check that out. But, I mean, my read on Jared Vanderbilt, I don't think he's going to do much for the team this season. I think he's a long-term play, like Michael Porter Jr. is. In terms of his health, I think the Nuggets will definitely work him in slowly. He'll spend a lot of time in the G League this year. Well, maybe he gets his chance here or there you know, in the second half of the season, but I think he was definitely a long-term play that can help the Nuggets down the line. I've said this before. I think he's potentially a great fit long-term next to Nikola Jokic, and I definitely think the four is his best position, not the three. I don't know if I could be higher on Jared Vanderbilt, to be honest. And, and we have to pump the brakes because foot injuries for big guys, especially mobile big guys, are very serious. And the question hanging around him is it, about his health is huge. But you guys know me. I like bigs that can do multiple things. And, and, and to me, that's the direction the league is going. Jared Vanderbilt is a big with guard skills. Defensively, he's a, he can be a beast. Rebounding, he can be a beast. But the guy can put the ball on the floor – I, the, you see some of his highlight mixes and some of his full game footage from high school. The guy doesn't just make good passes for a big. He makes great passes that are the type of passes you have to rewind and see over again. He has his skill level is incredibly high. I think character incredibly high. Um, if that foot heals, I, I'm with you. I think he is the starting power forward of, of the next several, several years. When he was at Kentucky, you know, he didn't get on the floor that much just because there was of injuries and a really crowded front court rotation. But it's worth mentioning that he grabbed one out of every four rebounds available. It's pretty incredible that that rebounding rate a little above 25 percent. This guy is a really, really gifted rebounder, a freak athlete. And I think he fits in really well long term, you know, next to Nikola Jokic. You look at the biggest hole in his game right now, and it's clearly shooting. He's got kind of a broke jump shot. And I think that's okay. You can, if you surround that guy with, you know, four other guys who can shoot the ball and just an offensive genius like Jokic, it could work out really well. And I think they could complement each other nicely. No doubt that they can complement each other even without the shooting. Another fun wrinkle, him and Michael Porter Jr. are friends and have been for a long time. They played the uh, Nike Hoop Summit together. They've been around the AAU circuit uh, together. And... You know, one thing I've noticed between those two, Michael Porter Jr., by his own admission, is a cocky guy. I mean, he really does think he's the baddest dude in the gym. And that's a good thing as long as you can be in check. I think, I think Jared Vanderbilt is a guy that's not afraid to keep Michael Porter Jr. in check. And, and you see him trash talk Michael Porter Jr. and bring him back down. I think that's a good dynamic. You need dynamics like that. Yeah, it's a super interesting dynamic. But... Yeah, I expect them to take things super slow with Jared Vanderbilt, as they should. I don't think they need him to be a contributing piece for this team this year. So they'll take it slow. I'm sure he'll ball the he'll absolutely ball out in the G League this coming season. He'll post, post some great numbers. I like to compare him to Lamar Odom, just in terms of his passing, in terms of how he can run the floor. And what he did at Kentucky last year, yeah, he was the best rebounder in the draft numbers-wise. If you look at rebounding percentages and whatnot compared to the bigs taken ahead of him and in the first two rounds. But what he did at Kentucky was not who he is as a player. He was kind of pigeonholed into a role as just a rebounder and an interior player like we've seen with guys at Kentucky in the past, whether it's Carl Anthony Towns or Devin Booker or some of these other guys. So there's he, few things, though, Harrison, more impressive to me than a guy who has more skills that it accepts honing in on just one or two of those for the betterment of the team not many players would do that I mean there's a lot of players that can do a lot of different things that when they're asked hey man this is what we need from you they're like no thanks I'm more than that him the fact that not only did he say okay I'll be the rebounder but he went out and was the best rebounder in all of college on a permanent basis I mean impressive that's a winning player baby well said all right let's go to the other question on the total beverage fan hotline about Michael Porter Jr. hey guys it's Marquise from Cincinnati my question for the Denver Nuggets this year is there's been a lot of talk about MPJ and how long or not long his injury will take him to come back from. What kind of injury to the team do you think would accelerate that timeline? Say a Will Barton or Gary Harris that makes us a little bit thinner on the wings. All right. Thanks for the question, Marquise. I think in short, I'm not sure any injury would really accelerate the timeline of Michael Porter Jr. to 
get back on the floor. I think the Nuggets are very committed to taking a slow and methodical approach with this rehab. I don't think they're in a hurry to get him out on the floor this season. And so, like you brought up, if Will Barton was to get injured, if Awancho was to get injured, if a Tory Craig was to get injured, the guys you have penciled in for minutes of the three, I'm not sure anything would really accelerate the timeline to get him back on the floor. That's how I read it, at least. I agree 100%. I mean, I don't think Denver's decision about Michael Porter Jr. has anything to do with with availability of other guys. Um, They want to make sure he's 100%. I think if he's 100% healthy in December, I think he'll play in January. If he's 100% healthy in January, he'll play in February. I think they're going to be that extra cautious with him, and if everything gets desperate, they'll sign a guy off waivers or or, or bring some guy in on a 10-day. he is much more valuable to the Denver Nuggets organization as a long-term piece than he is for them this year, even if it's between making the playoffs or not. I'd agree. I'd agree. This is a draft pick that they made with you know, the next couple years in mind, not this season. So I would definitely expect them to keep that long-term approach, really, no matter what injuries happen. All right. Well, thanks for the question. And again, if you guys have questions for the show, Hit up the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1-800-BSN-8394, 1-800-BSN-8394. It's a number to call. I guess just wrapping up here, guys, we've done a ton of season preview content. We've hit on all the major pieces. We've hit on everybody in the starting lineup. Who have we not been really focusing on that probably deserves a little more of our attention? I'll go to you, Adam, first. I think one X factor who I don't really have a read on what kind of year he's going to have, but is, is Tory Craig. I mean, he's a guy that to me, he provides a hustle um, defensively. I don't know that he's a defensive ace, especially at small forward where he's going to play, but he definitely gives you energy, effort, and, and makes things difficult. He wears, he wears players out. The problem for him at the end of the year is guys weren't guarding him behind the three-point line, and he's a good three-point shooter. Not a great one, but a good one. If he can become a better, just a more consistent, reliable, wide-open three-point shooter, to me, that's a guy you don't worry about playing 20 minutes a game. You don't have to think about, okay, we got to buy some minutes here. Yeah, I mean, Michael Malone already had a lot of trust in him last year, even when he's shooting the three ball, what, 29 30% or something like right. that? If he could just shoot it 35%, consistently knock down those wide-open corner threes that he always seemed to get, then I think he's clearly going to have the inside track on – you know, Wancho or Malik um, getting those those minutes from like the ninth man spot, those those reserve wing minutes. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there a player? What, what, what's your player? Is it also Tory Craig? Oh man, um, I love me some Tory Craig. I think he's gonna be a really valuable part of this team next year. I'm really interested to see what Wancho is gonna do this year because his best position is is power forward. I mean, that game against the Warriors that we all remember from February uh, 2017 when they beat the Warriors with freaking eight healthy guys and hit 24 threes, Wancho started that game at power forward. So, I mean, I'm a big believer in a shot. I think he's going to be a a guy who shoots 40% from three-point land when he, he finally starts to get some consistent minutes. He's such a perfect fit for what the Nuggets are trying to do offensively. He's a ball mover. But I think kind of the problem is there aren't any minutes available for him at the four with Paul Millsap and Trey Lyles. If he's going to play, he's going to have to play at the three. And I'm interested to see how he guards small forwards this year. Yeah, me too. Um, if there are if, – if Wancho gets a chance, I kind of get the feeling he might be able to run with it. But is he going to get that chance? Yeah, that's, that's a big, big question. big question, right? yeah. It's going to have to be at the three. He's going to have to be able to defend. I, th- I think there's a chance he could defend some backup threes pretty adequately, but is he going to get that chance? We're all in consensus that Torrey Craig's probably going to be the first guy to get those backup three minutes. Unless Malik Beasley is another guy that's just a big – I think Malik and Wancho are the big question mark because Torrey Craig can play the two or the three as yep. the second unit. And if Wancho's really good, then, then, then you slide Torrey to the two. If Malik's really good, you slide him to the three. So I, th- I almost feel like – those two guys are competing in some way for for different position, but same same minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think how we had power ranked those guys in like competition for one of those backup spots is probably Tory. Then I'd probably go Malik still, and then Wancho. Yeah, that's how <laughs> I would just kind of speculate the the pecking order would go there for those backup minutes. I'm going to throw another name out there, which is Tyler Lydon. I mean, he's been inter- he's been injured. We haven't seen him a lot, but it's summer league. The, the one knock you have on him is he just doesn't have a quick trigger. He's so passive, which I like. I'd rather a player be too passive than too aggressive, especially when they're the eighth, ninth guy on a roster in a right. rotation. 
Um, I think he needs to be a little bit more quick trigger. He's going to get open shots if he's playing with the, the offensive guy. You know, but if he's playing with Jokic and Gary Harris, he's going to get open shots. He needs to pull the trigger. But I just like his decision making. He's a like Wancho. They're both guys that just sort of know where to be on the court and how to space the floor. I agree. The two other guys I want to hit on before we get out of here: Trey Lyles and Isaiah Thomas. Two of kind of maybe some o- little bit of candidates for overlooked guys in this rotation who are probably going to be in this rotation let's start with Lyles we know the year he had last year stepping in for Paul Millsap he played great when he got a substantial amount of minutes it was kind of tough for him to get going when he didn't really know what he was going to play on a night-to-night basis and that's going to be tough for a player but he comes into this year as the unquestioned backup power forward he comes into this year as a guy who I'm sure the Nuggets want to play at least 20 minutes a night next season It seems like the biggest difference from the start of last year to this year is he's going to have a very defined role from day one, and the Nuggets are definitely going to count on him. For him to play more than 15 minutes a night, he needs to have multiple roles. And and this is the hardest thing, I think, for NBA players. When he's playing with two or three starters, in particular with Nikola Jokic, he's a spot-up shooter. He plays in the machine. He's cutting. He's doing all those things. But he's not a guy you give the ball to and get out of the way. When he's with second units, you know, the basis of the negative second unit is going to be a Mason Plumlee, Isaiah Thomas pick and roll. But he's going to have a lot of opportunities to go one-on-one, post up guys, take them out from the perimeter. And that's where he needs to be more aggressive. And and if he could figure out how to balance those things, I think he can get a lot of minutes. But last year I thought one of the the things he struggled with was was just that. When he was a 30-minute-per-game player because of all the injuries he was aggressive when he was 15 minutes per game he had a hard time picking his spots the Isaiah Thomas Mason Plumlee pick and roll I'm glad you read my post on bsndenver.com previewing the Nuggets bench this year Um, yeah I think that could be a nice combo for the Nuggets this year and as far as Isaiah Thomas goes I mean I guess we first have to determine when he's actually going to be back in the court because reporting coming out in the last week says that, hey, he's probably not going to be ready for the start of training camp. I mean, who knows if he'll be ready for the start of the year. I guess we'll figure that out in the coming weeks. But I just think one of the Nuggets' biggest problems over the past two seasons is that they haven't really known what they're doing offensively. They, they don't have an offensive identity when Nikola Jokic goes to the bench. And I think that Isaiah Thomas can provide that offensive identity. I mean, he's a guy who in 2016-17, his last year with the Celtics, was an elite pick-and-roll player. He was really, really good as an isolation player. I mean, I totally think that Mike Malone could just say, hey, Isaiah, you carry the load when Nikola goes to the bench, and I think he can do that competently depending on health. I agree. Yeah, that's partly why I think the Nuggets brought him in here, to be that focal point of the bench unit. And, yeah, the health is going to be a big thing with him. I'm sure the Nuggets will bring him along really slowly to this preseason. Monte Morris is good. You know, the thing is, if Isaiah Thomas is hurt and can't play, Monte Morris is good. He's going to play, and I think he'll be all right. If Isaiah Thomas is healthy and he looks like he did two years ago, Denver is a surefire playoff team. What do we think about Isaiah Thomas as a leader in the Nuggets locker room? Because this is one of my biggest, I don't know if worries is a good ca- characterization, because I'm not worried about the Nuggets leadership or anything. I think they got a lot of leaders in that locker room, guys who lead both with their words and by example, but like, can Isaiah Thomas be a guy to kind of rally the troops? He's played in a ton of big games before. He's been on a big stage. Can he have a little bit of a like leadership factor to him? I, for me, there's no doubt about it. Now, look, can things go sideways? Of course. There could, they could butt heads about who closes games, all this stuff. I'm actually less concerned with that. I think Isaiah Thomas, from a personality standpoint, fits a void in the Nuggets locker room, and that is a guy who talks and says words out loud verbally because we know one thing Richard Jefferson has told us over and over, and we see it ourselves. This is a quiet team, a really, really quiet team. Isaiah Thomas is loud, and one of the things I've heard about this this summer workouts is that Isaiah Thomas has been getting after guys, getting guys to go at each other, and just been that vocal presence. We've all played games. When you're in a quiet gym and nobody's saying anything, there's a different energy. When you're in a loud one where guys are barking back and forth, there's a different energy. I think he brings the, the latter. Yeah, I agree. They need an irrational confidence guy, and I guess this isn't irrational, but Isaiah predicted the Nuggets are going to the playoffs this year without ever playing a game in a Nuggets uniform. I think the Nuggets need some of that. I kind of like it. I'm in on that. There's guys that will guarantee and guys that won't. He's, he's willing to guarantee. and I, Yeah, I like it too. The Nuggets need somebody in that locker room who's not afraid to say anything to anybody. And I don't know if they've really had that guy in the past, but 
I definitely think Isaiah can be that person. I think that's about it. Unless you guys have any closing thoughts here about this upcoming season. Can we get a wins projection from you, Adam, before we get out of here? I'm up to 48. I was at 47. I'm at 48 now. Um, I might go back down to 47, to be honest with you. And it's not because I don't think this Nuggets team is really, really good. I just think the steps along the way. Everybody sees the the final version of this Nuggets roster as currently assembled. And look, I think in April, they're going to be a 54-win team. Uh, I think in in October they might be a 46 win team, and so yeah. that'll that'll average out to somewhere around 47, 48. I'm still at 50, and I feel weird being at 50 because usually I'm a total like not pessimist, but I like to keep things rational. Yeah, and I'm at 50 because I just really believe that they're going to get off to a great start. I think the schedule matches up well for them, and the continuity on this roster will help them get off to that good start. So. I'm still at 50. I feel weird being at 50, but I'm there. Uh, I said 49 as soon as the over-under came out. I'm sticking with 49. And we're crazy, you guys. We're all within three wins of each other. Some really outlandish takes here. Well, you asked if there was anything else with the Nuggets, and I'll say, and Nuggets fans know this, uh, we have a really fun, great media group, I think, here in Denver. And and this team is very exciting and growing, and I think the media group is exciting and growing as well. And so I'm really excited. You guys cover the team in a unique and different way, and – and I'm excited to see what you guys do. And, and I, I just think this is going to be one of those years we all kind of remember for multiple different reasons, not just the wins and losses, but some of the storylines that emerged throughout the year. I totally agree. It's going to be a fascinating year. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Of course, check his stuff out, denverstiffs.com, on Twitter, Adam underscore Morris on Twitter. Check him out there. Great follow, of course. And thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with another episode on Monday, recapping Media Day, of course. Can't believe the season's already here, but we'll talk to you guys then.